0: To get started,
1: visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Missed the show? No worries. On Point and on the podcast. We'll talk about the second anniversary of the Capitol Hill riots. And a lot of people wonder here in this country, could it happen here? Well, you know, there sure is a lot of anger. But it really comes down to our politicians and whether or not they can understand what brought Trump to life. And maybe it's that because too many of them govern for themselves and their self-interest and ideology instead of serving the Canadians, even those they don't tolerate. We will talk about that. Two years almost to the day that the Iranian regime bombed Flight 752 out of the sky, murdering all those on board, Justin Trudeau continues to call this an aviation disaster. Why the families fighting for justice see this as a slap in the face, and we'll talk about Why we should all be seeing this as a failure for this government to lead against a known terror regime. And when you look at the numbers, 88% of those 12 and up are fully vaxxed. 45% of those 5 to 11 have a first shot. And now officials at the city of Toronto are finally reversing course and saying, yeah, it's time to get kids back in classroom. But for the first time in this pandemic, parents are also finally pushing back. Because it's not political. The destruction we're seeing to our kids... Is very personal. Let's get
2: talking.
3: This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.
2: When people see that we're in lockdowns or serious public health restrictions right now because the risk posed to all of us by unvaccinated people, people get angry.
1: Trudeau's weaponizing vaccines to deflect from his own failures. These political games are what divide us. Alex Pearson with you on this Thursday, January 6th, and uh, 6th, there we go, 6th, great to have you here. It has been a very, very busy day, and I know uh, parents out there are uh, still hanging on, doing their best, and uh, thumbs up to you, but um, it is nice to have you here for the ride, and we are on an historic day, certainly for our neighbors. This is the day they mark that two-year anniversary of the Capitol Hill riots, and um, of course it was a very ugly, dark chapter in that country. But I'm not one who thinks their democracy is on the verge of collapse. I actually think America is much stronger than that. But, you know, I'm not so sure those in charge have learned much from that day because President Biden came out uh, today to give a speech to the nation. And I thought it was a lost opportunity because instead of healing the divisions, he used his speech to take swipes at Donald Trump. Why, like, why further fuel that fire? I didn't understand the tactic because talking about Trump only helps Trump talking about Trump just keeps the political division happening that's what Trump wants it emboldens his base but I'm going to talk about the politics of this whole thing later because there there is a lot of politics at play with our friends across the border but who are we in this country to wag our finger at our neighbors because we have very real divisions and very real anger in this country And I think if more people would stop obsessing about all things Trump and what's going on next door, they actually might start seeing them because there's anger. There are divisions and they are being fanned by our own politicians who always worry more about serving their own agenda rather than the people who elect them. And, you know, despite being warned by doctors before the election, please don't politicize vaccines. Justin Trudeau has done the exact opposite. He has turned them very much into a political weapon to score points. And he's continuing to do that. So he's made no secret, and he makes no secret for, you know, his disdain of those who are not vaccinated. And um, over the holidays, an interview that he had done with French media a couple of months ago surfaced. And in this interview in French, he's telling, you know, the audience... Those who are unvaccinated are anti-science, extremists, misogynists, and, and racists. I mean, the irony cannot be lost on anyone. You're talking to Quebec. But um, his comments that were not to tolerate, quote, those people are completely inappropriate for a G7 leader. Because his job as prime minister is to tolerate all Canadians who pay his bills. But you don't attract bees with vinegar. And so he's only pushing the hesitant further away. And, you know, given his penchant for blackface, I mean, he's hardly the the guy to be casting accusations of those people. But it's simply irresponsible to be playing games with these issues because these are clickbait comments, and they come at a time when, you know, people are going broke, people are exhausted, and a lot of people are simply at a breaking point. And so Arrow Tool came out today, and... I think he was right in saying he's raising the temperature to deflect from his own failures during the pandemic.
2: The more that we can take the temperature down here, uh, the better for getting vaccination levels up. Mr. Trudeau mocks and actually attacks people that are unvaccinated, calling them misogynists and others. That's not going to get more people vaccinated.
1: No, it's not. It is not. And most people in this country... Are actually fully vaxxed enough certainly that we should be at herd immunity but um, you know it's clear the vaccines absolutely help reduce illness but they don't stop the virus and they certainly aren't getting us out of it as we have been told otherwise we wouldn't be locked down again so you know maybe it's time we stop tolerating all the BS and actually start to get answers from guys like Justin Trudeau and you know how many vaccines do we actually have to get to get the freedom back Because I don't know about you, I'm willing to get a third booster, but I am not doing two shots a year for the rest of my life. That's just not going to happen. I don't think anybody would. But let's be honest, curfews, as we're seeing in martial law in Quebec, they don't stop COVID. Mandates and vaccines won't stop COVID. Cutting people off from getting weed won't stop COVID, because guess what? The black market doesn't need a vaccine passport. And people getting three vaccines, it won't stop COVID either. So these things may pull well, you know, internally as being popular policy ideas, but they're not going to stop the virus. And as much as I think people should get shots and be protected, we aren't in this mess because of a small number who won't get the shot. We're in this mess because of the bozos in charge, including the prime minister. They all remain clueless on how to respond to a pandemic that they were warned was coming that we knew was coming after SARS because we wrote all the pandemic preparedness reports. And, of course, no one bothered to do bugger all over the last 20 years uh, to prepare for it. So, and, of course, before this pandemic, Trudeau, as you'll recall, it's, I think, forgotten now. He was spending three weeks trotting around Africa trying to buy a failed seat at the UN Security Council. He was n- this was not a priority for him. And yet we play right into the games, and I don't understand why and i and i wonder you know those who hate trump and fear what happened at capitol hill 2 years ago today they seem to fail to to realize that his uprising is a result of the political games and the cancerous things like identity politics that have been weaponized to score points but divide the country i mean trudeau has straight i mean back in 2014 2015 his talking points were that those who disagree with you are your neighbors. Listen to them. To those who disagree with his ideology though now, now they are racist, women-hating, anti-science heathens. When has name-calling and baseless accusations ever led to anything positive? It has not. It leads to things like the rising of a Donald Trump. And this growing divide, it's also driven by a lack of accountability. You know, once upon a time, a $16 orange juice would get you, you know, an end to your political career. But now, you know, the prime minister gets away with doing all the things he actually accuses others of doing. Who blows billions on liberal-friendly deals that are met with a shrug. Billions in reckless pandemic spending that can't even be accounted for. Who, as a feminist, fires women who stand up to him. And, of course, he experiences his groping differently. I mean, this is a guy who has been found contempt of basic ethics more times than I can count that would land the rest of us in jail. Yet there's no accountability. So Trump is a product of the games we keep letting our own prime minister get away with. So will we see an uprising like we did at Capitol Hill? I certainly hope not. But there is a divide in this country. And those in politics across all party lines, they need to wake up and realize that guys like Trump come to life because politicians forget who they work for. They're accountable to us. They are hired to you know, represent all Canadians, even though they find you know, the ones that are intolerable. They're supposed to serve Canadians, not their own ideologies. And the sooner all politicians start serving their constituents' needs rather than blindly following their dear leader's agenda or what polling tells them will fuel their base, then maybe we start healing the divide in this country instead of recklessly fueling it, because at the end of the day, I I don't think we're going to see Capitol Hill resurrection, but we are no one to wag our finger
2: at our neighbors next door. President of the United States of America has created and spread a web of lies about the 2020 election. He's done so because he values power over principle. Because he sees his own interest as more important than his country's interest, than America's interest. And because his bruised ego matters more to him than our democracy or our constitution. He can't accept he lost. There
1: you go. President Biden addressing the nation this morning. Two years to the day that uh, Trump supporters rushed the Capitol and took over its chambers, its office in what was this kind of delusional attempt to overthrow an election that they believed was illegal. It was a real blemish on our, on our neighbor, no question about it. But if Joe Biden, I think, thought was helping bridge the divide today in his speech, uh, he did not do that. It was very political, taking all these swipes at Trump and what appeared to me to be kind of scoring political points off something that all politicians, I think, should be learning from. And that is Donald Trump and those types are a product of the political establishment, which on both sides of the aisle have ignored these major swathes of the population choosing to govern on self-interest and ideology instead of serving the people who elect them. And so a lot of people here say, well, gee, could it happen here? I mean, there's a lot of anger here. I don't think it'll happen. But, you know, politicians are playing these same kind of wedge issues and uh, pandering to self-interest and ideology. So, People are angry. John Robson, National Post columnist, as well as executive director of the climate discussion nexus. Good to have you, John. Good to be here. You know, a lot of people uh, talking about this today. There's the speeches you got, uh, you know, all these people uh, talking about it, uh, talking Biden saying the insurrection held a dagger to the throat of America. And then you got a lot of people here on this side of the border, you know, saying that, um, you know, this could happen here. I mean, democracy's on the cliff. Some say it's overblown. You say what?
3: It's it's badly overblown. I mean, I'm not excusing what happened on January 6th. Those were a bunch of, uh, of idiotic people. But uh, one of the things about them is if they were planning to overthrow the republic, they sure weren't planning very effectively. And as you also know, I mean, I was a never-Trumper before. It was cool. From the moment his campaign became serious in 2016, I was saying he was unfit to hold the office on grounds of character. And in fact, it turned out intellect as well. And uh, I think part of the problem certainly is the number of people who still think that Donald Trump was a good president and a good man. But another part of the problem is the people who feed off that. The the Democrats Mm. are not doing a good job of governing the United States, and they would prefer to pose as saviors of American democracy from a vast right-wing conspiracy than to admit that a bunch of fools showed up, embarrassed themselves, were rightly eventually dealt with, and now it's time to find constructive solutions and stop hammering the wedge in further. Uh, and and that, the problem is that they, they, they can't let go of it because they feed on the negative energy, too, in ways I think they very often don't appreciate. You know, the squad, you know, and I think they know. But mm-hmm. people like yeah. Biden, who are, you know, I remember even Barack Obama, I'm a uniter, not a divider. And after eight years of him, people voted in Donald Trump. If you're a uniter, you're not very good at it.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but it's interesting because you know we both know uh, President Biden's free falling in the polls. There's elections coming up uh, later this year. Um, you know, so so they'll say that they're not uh, politicizing or trying to capitalize off of this particular day. But but they are because that's what politicians do today. They just they can't help themselves. Um, we see it here with Justin Trudeau. He doesn't care about governing for all. He cares about. Striking political points off the anti-vaccinated, or you know, scoring points off of those he considers racists or misogynist, whatever they all seem to do it, a- and it's dividing both our countries I- in the worst of ways.
3: It's, and and that I think is a key point because it's not as though this is new. I mean, now Cicero's comment on on politicians is certainly an unkind one, and you know, no matter where you look, uh, you find people complaining that the politicians are dividing us. There's a Tom Connor's song about. Uh, You know, we sing in French and English, but they still can't understand. Uh, But I do think that it has become somewhat worse. I think the tone has become nastier. I think the content has become even more moronic. And there used to be a fairly sizable and uh, influential middle segment that punished you for that kind of thing. The interesting reflection, Richard Nixon was finally forced to resign. Uh, One of the problems was the Watergate tapes revealed that Nixon, who posed as a champion of decency, was in fact foul-mouthed. And this really let mm-hmm. people down as a sort of, but we thought Nixon was fundamentally a good guy. Sure, yeah, he could be tough, but, but, you know, deep down he was decent. And they were appalled when he wasn't. But nobody thinks that now. I mean, look at Emmanuel Macron just saying that he wanted mm-hmm. to, you know, bad word people in France. We use one bodily function. Mm-hmm. actual original French is a different one. But this kind of language coming from the president of the republic, and then not going, oh, what am I saying? I'm sorry, I, I lost control of my tongue, but going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to smear them with dung. Um, the, the, I think there's been a kind of lowering of the of the rhetorical and moral tone. And again, you know, the 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 Bidens and and the well, I'm going to name David Frum again because he's a good example of this. They would have liked there to be another insurrection. They, they would have liked the mob to show up again. They wouldn't have. They're not pleased that there was no uh, that there's no angry bunch of right wing loonies. And that's part, when people ask, could it happen here? There's two questions. One is, could you get an angry mob storming Parliament Hill? And I think, no, you don't think you can really get that. Two, can you get people so disaffected that they start voting for the likes of Donald Trump? And that one, although so far Canadians are like, nah, do any. I, I think there's a risk of that. Uh, and again, as in the United States, I always said Trump was the wrong answer to the right question. And as long as people don't give a better answer to that question, there's a very real danger that a lot of people are going to pick another wrong answer. And so all the people who are just sneering and looking down their noses and, oh, you know, their handkerchiefs, scented handkerchiefs, they can't smell the mob, they're making things worse by making themselves feel better about how much superior they are to the basket of deplorables. But that's not the way that you heal the wounds. And I really think most people on both, you know, most people think both sides stink. And there's a reason why they think that. They do both stink. And I say that as a person who's not ideologically centrist. But in terms of this, this appalling tone of politics on both sides, and they're like, well, they're being nasty, so I'll be nasty. And It's like, well, what if just once you decided to think about how you'd want people to remember you when your career was over? And then you tried acting like that and saw if maybe people liked it.
1: Or maybe, I don't know, come up with some really smart, sound policy that people can get behind. I mean, we have a lot of disaffected people in this country. We saw it in the last election, um, but on both the left and the right. Um, and, and then you get guys like um, Maxime Bernier who decides that, you know, he didn't win leadership, well, he'll start his own party, but they're running to him. He has no real message discipline. Uh, He's doing this, I think, for, you know, his own vanity, whatever. I don't know where he plans to take this party, Uh, but people are going to that despite the fact that there's, you know, I don't really know what he stands for other than I'll stand for what people are angry about, which is not really what, what what a political, you know, survival rate should be about. Yeah, and it's interesting
3: because in, in some way, you know, like, like Ronald Reagan, you know, if you shake Maxine Bernier awake at three in the morning, and I want to emphasize that I've never done so, uh, you know, he's fundamentally a libertarian. You confront him with a policy mm. problem on the fly when he doesn't have time to think, he's going to come out with an articulate free market position because that's where he's been for many decades. But the party right. has also been attracting this kind of populist anger. And part of it is a feeling that this complicated world of rules and regulations and credentials and exceptions is sewn up by the clever and the connected. And that in fact, free markets would help the ordinary person. And the ordinary person is not normally a libertarian on economics, but um, they do have a feeling that the system is uh, composed of people who aren't like them and despise them. So I think Bernier taps into that. But... And there are issues, you know, message discipline and also other organizational things. But it is a party that offers a real alternative. And part of the sad thing is how few votes and, and how no MPs they got. The Canadians are always complaining, yeah. oh, the parties do this, the parties do that. Well, vote for somebody different. And, as a, you know, it doesn't have to be who?
1: libertarian. You could vote for... Like, that's um, the problem. Who do you vote for, John?
3: There's the like, there's no American choices. Party Even party
1: provincially, party. there's no choices. There's federally, there's barely... Like there, who no, do, do you vote for? I have no party. idea who I'd vote for today. What I used that? to
3: vote for the Radical Marijuana Party for two reasons. One was I thought it was funny, the Radical Marijuana Party versus the Bourgeois one, like we just smoke one joint and then stop. But the other one was that the slogan was 's Roll, and I figured that win or lose, they would. So, but I was to vote that was available. I was not just apathetic, but I was very disaffected from the major parties. And now, you know, the, the, I think the People's Party, there's the Libertarian Party, there's the Christian Heritage Party, and on the yeah. left, I mm. mean, vote for some wacky left-wing party. Even vote for the Greens if they could do- stop setting themselves on fire, <laughs> which isn't even mm. a protest. There are ways, but don't let them make you stop voting, and don't vote for a mainstream party. Let them know yeah. we care, we don't believe the choices we've been given are adequate, and we're not going to go away until we get something more that we wouldn't be ashamed of. We wouldn't have to go and we'll- wash our hands after voting and not because of covid
1: just vote for someone who actually serves the public and not their own self-interest if you can find someone like that yeah, all right john back. i uh yeah there you go gotta leave you there very much appreciate your insight because you always give a different kind of view on these things that uh, tend to only get one narrative so i always appreciate it
3: always a
2: pleasure thanks for having me on
1: john robson who you can read in the pages of the national post
2: here and there this is also a difficult time of year as we remember the victims of Flight PS752 and other air disasters, families who continue to grieve, who celebrated yet another holiday season with empty spaces around the table, know that we stand with you, know that we continue to fight for you, know that we will continue to be there to support you as you grieve as you face the long, slow process of healing.
1: Absolute rubbish. I'm sorry. Um, You know, the Prime Minister talks a really good game, but when it comes to the downing of Flight 752, he either does not get it, uh, or he's naive, or he's playing up to Iran. I can't figure it out, because this was not an aviation disaster. The 176 people on that Ukrainian flight were bombed out of the sky, and 85 of those people were from this country, either they're citizens, or they were here working on permanent residencies or what they were part of this country. And they were murdered. They were murdered by the Iranian regime because it intentionally launched missiles at this domestic flight as it took off. And as for this talk of support and fighting for justice, the tribal government has literally been missing in action and done nothing for these families. They're letting Ukraine lead the investigation. They refuse you know, support in a recent civil case that was awarded just this week in the courts to the victims' families. He refuses to even talk tough to the regime. And, you know, worse is when this happened right before this pandemic, Trudeau met with some of these families. He he was there putting his arms around them, in their home, having them cry on his shoulder. So he got all these photo ops and none of them have heard a word from him since. So they were basically, I think, used as props. And so on Saturday, it will be the second anniversary of this terrorist act. It's not a disaster. And so calling it that for these families is a slap in the face. Zahra Zoltani is the director at Loyalist Public Affairs, but she is from the Iranian community. And I welcome you to this show because you wrote, I think, what is an important op-ed in the Toronto Sun on what um, the family sees as a slap in the face. I'm glad you could join us.
4: Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me.
1: Why did you feel it was so important to write this piece?
4: Uh, First of all, I think there hasn't been enough media attention. There hasn't been enough uh, conversations about what is going on. And uh, as we get closer to the second anniversary of uh, the downing of flight, the, the Ukrainian flight, uh, by the Iranian regime, um, I think it was imp- it, it was important for me. Um, I just wanted to do something, and uh, this is how this is how I uh, contributed, I guess.
1: You know, if not for this pandemic, um, this would have remained on the front pages. It was an egregious attack on Canadians, and Iran. I mean, you know, they call it a human error. Of course, they investigated itself. And I think a lot of people forget, not only did it investigate itself, but it blocked any kind of accountability. Uh, It wouldn't allow anybody to see the black boxes. Um, The victims of this were uh, robbed in their graves. You know, personal items were taken. The, The crime scene itself was completely sanitized by the Iranian regime. They have never been accountable for this, but this government talks a good game, but they've never actually done anything to go after them. Yeah, absolutely.
4: And, and and the the language we hear um from Prime Minister Trudeau is is the weakest possible position that we can take um as a country towards, you know, having, you know, fifty-five of our citizens killed and, you know, thirty others who are permanent resident and and, and then there were a number of others with, with ties to this country. Um I think it's it's uh, he's playing right into the hands of the Iranian ayatollahs by 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 using this language and by um, sort of turning a blind eye to um, widely known facts that you know point to a, a, a bigger, more sinister incident than just an air disaster.
1: Yeah, and and this government has designated January 8th as the National Day of Remembrance for Victims of Air Disasters. That in itself uh, is an affront, not just, you know, to the Iranians who were, um, lost their loved ones to terror, but the Air India bombing, again, where you had this terror attack on Canadian citizens, and they were promised everything, you know, by the governments of, in charge of the day. But again, they were completely forgotten about, too. Uh, lots of promises, but left completely on their own and never to get justice
4: yeah absolutely um you you're you're right with with naming January 8th as the as the you know uh, national remembrance day for for victims of where uh, for uh, victims of air disasters i think i think uh, is is very tone deaf for what happened in this case and as as you mentioned the the, um, the Indian air uh, bombing case um i think I think it's it's just one of those actions done by the government to say that oh hey you know we 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 made a statement and we we named a day after these victims and uh, let's just call it a day. Um, it seems like in the past couple of years, um, it's it, 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 the government of Canada has been doing um, what what I think has been like the bare minimum to basically get away. With uh, you know, just saying that they've done something in this case, but what you see is the frustration by families, victims, and by people in the community who think, um, who you know, don't have any confidence in what mm-hmm. in what the Canadian government has been doing um, to properly respond um, to 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 what Iran did, basically killing. 176
1: innocent people. Yeah, and I've had Shaheen Mogadam uh, on this show. His wife, Shakiba, and his uh, 10-year-old son, Rostin, were on that plane, and they were killed by those missiles. Um, you know, he feels very much abandoned by a prime minister who came into his home who he believed would fight for him. Who's, you know, His son, Rostin, adored the prime minister. He wanted to be like the prime minister. And so I think there's this real feeling of being used, or being abandoned. They've had to go through this pandemic, completely isolated and on their own. Um, And then just this Monday, you know, six of these families, including Shaheen Magadam, they were the ones who launched a civil case to try to get some accountability. And the courts did in fact act in their favor, rule in their favor. But, you know, talking to the lawyer of that case, the prime minister, this government did nothing to help them, you know, put the case together, give them any supports in that. that's not acceptable. Oh,
4: absolutely! I, I 100% agree. I think there has been very little um, support and and uh, to 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 get to justice um, or to get to the bottom of what happened in this case, um, um, and and get to the truth. But um, unfortunately it It is true that a lot of uh, the families of the victims have felt very lonely um, in this fight,
1: yeah, they're not looking so, for money. They want accountability. They want a, a regime known for terrorism to be held to account. um and not just and i I would hazard to say, um Zara, that it's not even for their families, but for all Iranians who suffer under this terror regime.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Look, I've, I've, uh, I've lost loved ones and, and, you know, the, the, the entire, if you want to think about it from a human perspective, um, the healing process, you know, will start when you understand how and when, and, you know, what was it that, that, you know, caused a loved one, um, to, to die. And, it is only after knowing the facts that you can, you know, acknowledge and accept and start the healing process. Um, my heart goes out to these families because they don't even know the most basic facts. They don't even uh, know exactly what happened and and why and for what crime this civilian airplane was shut down. And if they don't, if if they can't have the facts and the truth they can't even start the healing process so um the the, i cannot imagine the emotional and psychological pressure that these families are under um and just seeing that your government that you know you you happily you know some of them i'm sure they participated um with With our democratic process and 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 that 's why they immigrated to mm-hmm. uh, to this country, so it's really sad to see that your government is sort of leaving you alone in 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 finding the truth about what happened to your loved ones.
1: yeah, we were always a country um, known to punch above its weight or fight for what is right um, and i don't know if we're a nation anymore, but again, after watching what had happened to the people. And the families of those of the Air India bombing. Sadly, it's not the first time uh, where government has failed these people. It's just uh, it's just uh, unforgivable that we are repeating these sins. I yeah, really appreciate absolutely. you joining. And I yeah. Think, yeah.
4: Go ahead. I'm sorry, uh, I was just going. No, no, say, go, and, no. And, and go ahead. And there is a bigger, there's a greater, um, you know, problem we have in Canada. It seems with with our, with the direction our foreign policy is going, and I think um, you know just not not uh standing up to iran with a strength and with with um you know confidence of of a democratic country that we are and the principles that we stand for i think uh i think it's really sad that we are just sort of letting them get away with this with this
1: it is uh it is very sad i very much appreciate you joining us uh thank you thank you for joining. Thanks for having me, Alex. That is Zahra Sultani, who uh, wrote this piece in uh, the Toronto Sun. Uh, Really about words matter. They do matter. Our job is not to fulfill the propaganda of our enemies. Iran, China, and uh, we're doing that all the time.
0: Since November 1st, Team Toronto held approximately 244 school vaccination clinics across Toronto. Schools are essential for the health development and well-being of children, and Toronto is supporting school boards to safely return to in-person learning in schools as quickly as possible.
1: There you go. That's refreshing to hear, finally, because uh, now Toronto officials support the schools being open, which is a bit of a flip-flop from other shutdowns uh, that uh, Dr. Eileen DeVilla very much supported. And uh, look, you may be able to convince me that there was justification at the beginning of this thing to close schools as we kind of navigated this thing, but it doesn't mean it did not cause significant damage because kids have missed major amounts of their curriculum. They have stayed in isolation on screens. They missed sports, socializing. They've missed being kids, which, as I've talked about many, many times, has led to major mental health issues. So for parents, you know, this is not political. It is very personal. And it's also not about kids being resilient. They are. But for two years, we've allowed them to become collateral damage because those in charge can't do their job. And so finally, you know, it's nice. We are starting to see major pushback. Marit Illaraz is an author, a concerned parent, also part of a group that has launched a petition on change.org called Schools Must Open, and I've been watching this thing. It started with a couple of thousand signatures about 24 hours ago, 48 hours ago, and now we're almost at 50,000 signatures. Marie joins me now. Good to have you. Hi, Alex, thanks for having me. You have been making a lot of noise for a long time now. Not, this is not just new for you. You have been kind of whistling into the wind for a while. Where, yeah. where's, the, where's the anger been from parents?
0: Um, really, what you said in your in your preamble, um, the anger is watching our kids sit alone in isolation on a computer. The anger is, you know, seeing what's happening in your own home. Um, you know, my for myself, I saw my daughter struggle last year. She was a great student, always really happy to go to school, and all of a sudden, she was unmotivated, disengaged, sleeping through classes. I should clarify, my daughter's 15, so she's a teenager. Mm -hmm. She started high school last year. It was no way to start high school. And um, it was really disheartening, and it got progressively worse the winter, last winter during, you know, uh, schools were shut down till February, and reopened a little bit, and then there was, you know, another lengthy closure. And um, in the YRDSB school board, like in TDSB, the high schoolers, didn't have any normal school at all last year. They were getting five to seven hours a week when schools were actually open. So, you know, we're kind of forgetting that, you know, all the kids have suffered tremendously and that teenagers have paid a really high price, especially in these two school boards, because they've been basically virtual with the exception of, you know, the earlier part of, uh, Uh, You know, September to December, they've been basically virtual for two years. And you know, when this started, my daughter was 13. She'll be 16 Mm -hmm. in May. She will be. Yeah,
3: that's a lot of that's a
1: lot of uh, big years and big growth. And you know, and even before that, Marit, there were a lot of disruptions with school back. You know, school action, union action, disruptions and and activities in school sports. All of that being disrupted. Um, You know, we always hear that. It's for the children, um, you know, children come first. But that is not what is actually happening. And, and, you know, parents, I'm surprised, have stayed pretty quiet. It was one thing in the beginning when it was like, okay, we're going to buckle down and get through this. But I'm surprised at how quiet uh, people have been in going along with this thing. What do you think it is now um, that has finally mobilized parents to finally say, you know what, no more? I think it's a a
0: combination of factors. The fact that we're now a post-vaccination society. And before, you know, we we really had um, specific goals in mind when we closed schools. You know, initially the goal was uh, the first closure. We've got to figure things out. It's a new virus. We have no idea what we're dealing with. Um, Afterwards, the lockdowns were about, you know, we're waiting for vaccines. Um, We've got to get a bulk of people vaccinated. And it was sort of goal after goal. But so at least when you know what you're trying to achieve, it made sense. And, you know, Matt Gurney said this really well in, in his TVO article this week. It, it makes a difference when you know you're sacrificing for uh, some sort of benefit at the end and that there's light at the end of the tunnel. I think the anger now is that we are the only jurisdiction in North America to be on our fourth school closure. Um, you know, all throughout Canada, nowhere near... Uh, other kids have missed nowhere near as much school as the kids in Ontario have. Uh, and we are now a post-vaccination society. Everybody stepped up. You know, we're close to 90% fully vaccinated. Everyone stepped up, including teens, including, including you know, kids, and now that they're uh, the 5 to 11 age group can be vaccinated. People have stepped up. They've gotten vaccinated. We've complied with mask mandates. We've done everything. So, You know, it kind of
1: feels like, what are we doing this for now? Well, what's the goal here? Um, Yeah, and when does it change? But, you know, you and I both know um, that there are parents out there who say, no, 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 schools are too dangerous, we have to keep them home. And they may have the loudest voice, but they sure as hell aren't speaking for parents in this province by the majority. Uh, But they are the ones who have been controlling the message. They have been.
0: Uh, I think, honestly, it's not nice to say, but I think they've kind of bought into something that maybe they haven't examined very logically and thought, okay, wait a minute, we're vaccinated. We are dealing with a, you know, a less severe variant. Even the World Health Organization made a statement this week that it is a less severe variant. So, you know, we've got, you know, big institutions coming on saying that. So, you know, I, I just, and, and I think maybe these people aren't really looking outside of Ontario and seeing yeah, that or no, Toronto or ju- yeah. Yeah, I'm not looking outside of Ontario to recognize that no other jurisdiction is doing these things that we're demanding to make our schools safe. For example, I've looked into this quite extensively, and I'm not aware of anywhere else in the world where there's a demand for N95 masks for teachers, let alone for all students. Like, I, I yeah, yeah. and, and we different. seem to dismantle.
1: <laughs> Yeah, and there's a dismissum, you know, effect. I mean, masks. Yeah, they can protect to a point, but they do also uh, disrupt things like speech development in very young children. And so we're yeah, sticking these they, things yeah. on their faces. No one yeah. really cares about it now because it's not their child, and they're also not seeing the evidence. But in five or six years, there are going to be a whole bunch of little kids who are having problems developing speech patterns. But you know, I, I don't begrudge a parent who might have concerns about their child's health. They can they can keep them home. But I don't think we should buy into this, well, if not all kids can go, then they should all fail. Because that's kind of the approach we're taking. It. It's like, if they yeah. all can't go, then they all must fail. Well, I don't understand yeah. that. I think we want to stave off as much damage as possible.
0: I really think that we can't have a one-size-fits-all approach. Some people are naturally more fearful or have vulnerable people at home that they're really concerned about. Um, others are in a very different mind frame and a very different boat, so... You know, it it can't be imposed on everybody. People have the option to not send their kids. I mean, you can homeschool if that's your choice. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, we can't, um, we have to understand that we can only put in place reasonable and feasible uh, mitigation measures for safety. We are not going to achieve zero transmission, zero risk. Uh, you know, Omicron is contagious, and it it is highly transmissible. And, and, you know, we can only do reasonable, feasible, you know, those are the steps that we can take to mitigate as much as possible, while, while also, you know, reducing these terrible harms to kids by allowing them to go to school in a reasonably safe environment. And I, I, I feel personally that some of the pushes from certain quarters for more measures and more measures, some of them are not really feasible or reasonable.
1: So And and serve only certain agendas, but nonetheless. Well, look, um, Maria, the the petition has exploded. I will make sure to tweet it out, but I really appreciate you chatting with me. It's nice to see that parents are getting more vocal and starting to take charge, and I do think the message is starting to finally sink in. Uh, Just quickly before I let you go, do you feel that, that you're being heard? I do. I do now feel that, yeah. And, you
0: know, the kids have told us, even if this doesn't succeed, like my daughter and a lot of her friends have said to their parents who have been, you know, advocating for this, they've said, thank you for doing this and mm-hmm. showing us that we matter and we're being heard.
1: There you go. So the kids very much appreciate like it. <laughs> well, yeah, thank that would so be much. nice. They, they do have a voice. Uh, Marie, very much appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. That's Ilarez. Ilaraz, I hope I'm saying that right. If you want to see this petition, it is at uh, change.org. Schools must open. We'll search it for you. You can add your name to that petition, but it has exploded, so it's, uh, it's nice to get that going. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join us live Monday through Friday starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson. On point, this is Global News Radio.